long desired to act out that scene. So yeah. thank you for making thank yeah. you for making a young boy's dream come true. Follow me down this road. You won't get lost because I know just where to go. Hello and welcome to Raise a Glass the podcast where we discuss the stories and storytellers that shape us. My name is Hunter Danson. And I am Eric Lintola. And uh, we have a potluck episode this week. (laughs) We have one of these every once in a while where we both bring something and we bend the laws of time because you... Uh, dear listener, you know what we have brought on the title of the podcast, but we don't know what we <laughs> have brought. That is true. Yeah. Uh, so it's a time paradox. Welcome. Uh, but before we get started um, and, and fix the rules of time. <laughs> I don't know if that played over well, but that was the Doctor Who. Oh, Okay. I thought. It, uh, well, I, I, what's in your glass, Eric? Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> today for dinner, as we were driving home, we stopped uh, at a Thai restaurant and ordered out. So instead of consuming my beverage at that moment, I decided to wait until all of the ice had melted, given how long we were talking before we started this podcast. Um, it's a joke, uh, even though it's also true. Um, there is still ice. I have a Thai iced tea. Nice. Uh, my first sip. I've been waiting with it by my side. <laughs> mm. Thai iced tea is one of the... If you have not had the opportunity to have some Thai iced tea, mm. go out of your way. It is... It's so good. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it so much. There's no boba-ness. Um, mm. Straight Thai iced tea. Um Nice. Oh my goodness. Uh Hunter, what is in your glass? Uh I have a it's called the Dad Bod IPA <laughs> from uh Hop Culture Brewery in Colchester. Okay. Um my uh, my dad got me a gift card there for my birthday, so Brilliant. went and got a crowler, a couple crowlers and uh this is one of the ones I got. Um, I do have a dad bod, so it's a dad bod IPA. It's pretty. It's it's quite good. It's kind of like it's hoppy, but it's also it's sort of like kind of chewy. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm not an IPA guy, so I'm glad to hear that you like it. And. Uh, Hunter, you might have a dad bod, but I like to my, think about myself as having a father figure. So. <laughs> that, nice. Well, <laughs> Hunter, I'll just dive one, drive okay. into what I'm raising a glass and pouring one out for. Um, I'm raising a glass to. Um, being overwhelmed with excitement 
Uh, it doesn't happen too often. Um, but I, uh, it was just a, a fun day, um, both at my, at my job where I work, um, got to learn that one of my coworkers I'm going to be working more directly with and, um, got maybe a couple interns starting up and there's a lot of really cool movement of like things I, I didn't expect. Um, mm. and I got to, um, I don't really connect with, with some coworkers and with the work we do and with a, a friend who I haven't seen in a while and um, also got to be with my family to celebrate the first birthday of one of my nephews, even though he's got COVID, so we couldn't be with him, but we oh. got to kind of surprise him and his parents um, uh, and saying happy birthday through their, their front door. Um, that was just a special moment. Nice. Uh, and uh, I'm pouring one out for uh, the the challenges of aging. Um, I have, as of yesterday night, like so much pain in my lower back. <laughs> and I have no idea why. Like enough that like I was having a lot of difficulty sleeping last night and like mm. took Advil this morning and still I'm like was feeling it throughout the day. And like, um, I, I think I might've stood too long while chopping veggies for a soup I was making, uh, and wow. not standing on the right, like not standing up with the right posture or like, I've got a little like faux like mat that I stand on in the kitchen. Um, mm. that helps. And I guess I probably didn't stand on that enough. I don't know. Uh, or maybe it was just my huge child lifting him up. Um, yeah, but I, uh, man, it's, I feel like all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is, this is, it's arriving. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, uh... it's going to drink my ties tea. <sighs> oh, Maybe I should have raised a glass of that. One of the things we recently taught Caleb, uh, this is a parenting win for me, mm. um, is is that moment of ah, like sighing after you drink a beverage, like how nice it is. Yeah. When he drinks water now out of his bottle, he'll go, ah. <laughs> and he'll like purposely look at you and go, ah. And so I'll go, ah. And you go, yeah. And I think I've hit the point actually where I've inadvertently taught him that whenever I go, ah, that means he's supposed to drink water. It's <laughs> cute. Yep. How about you, Hunter? Well, I am, uh, I'm raising a glass to, uh, overcooked, which is a video game that, my mm. wife and I have played. We play. We had the first one a while ago, and I believe when you visited us, we actually played it. Yeah, I showed it to I you. Think we did. Yeah, uh, it's a it's a cooperative cooking game mm -hmm. uh, where you easy. have. Yeah. It's not easy. No, you the, some of the later levels they get really tricky, and you really do have to work together and communicate uh, in order to get. Uh, a good score uh and and kim and i got three stars on every level in the first one what, what, what? 
and uh, I was at the thrift store today, and uh, I saw Overcooked 2 on the shelf, and so I snagged it for five bucks, and uh, we, we... Wesley was kind of he Wesley was there with me and he was kind of excited about it so Kim and I were able to to show him overcooked uh, and play a little bit of it. Oh that's fun. Um but it's just so fun. It's a really cute game, but it's also like it's it's also a challenge uh and mm-hmm. it's really fun when you can overcome that challenge with someone that you uh, communicate really well with. Mm-hmm. I imagine if it's with someone that you you don't really communicate well with, it's probably pretty frustrating. But <laughs> um, that makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, but uh, but my wife and I really really enjoy it. It's it's just a lot of fun. Uh, but I'm pouring one out for uh, going to Walmart. Uh, okay. <laughs> I ended up going to Walmart today. Because sometimes what you originally planned to do with your toddler uh, doesn't work out. The library was closed because they mm. a pipe burst in the building. Uh, and sometimes you just have to go somewhere. And I needed something at Walmart. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and I went there and um, Eric... <laughs> just sent me a link to people of walmart which uh this is an infamous website it's just pictures of people uh at walmart uh it's very interesting characters that you see at walmart uh because you know you just go to walmart and it's always worse than you imagine even if you like think it's going to be good it's like it's just crowded and you can it's hard to find things uh and there's just so it many people. so long for me to check out. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, this one had this one had a ton of self-checkout things, so I could just right. get in the self-checkout. But, you know, Wesley saw the toys and uh, oh, no. wanted toys. But he was really, he was a really good, really good boy. Uh, he was so good, in fact, and patient that uh, the thrift store was next door. And I said, I'm going to. I'm going to take you to the thrift store and, and you can pick out a little toy um, because he was just, just so nice. And sometimes you gotta, you just gotta yeah. surprise him. Yeah. And celebrate um, good behavior. Like, yeah. Yeah. We do. We started doing check marks too. We'll give him a little check mark on his hand uh, if he does something really good. And that's really, it's really cute uh, and really nice. Cause he can look at it and say, uh, I did a, I did a good job. So it's like a physical check mark, not like an emotional one. Yeah, like a marker check mark on the hand. I've never heard that before. Yeah, from a book I've been reading. Happiest toddler on the block. Sounds like that was like a double sided uh, uh, pour went out. Yeah, yeah, it was. You you find a quarter at the bottom of the glass. Right. Yeah. (laughs) That happens. I'm sure that's. Yeah. Hunter, can we dive into it? Yeah, yeah, it's time. I can promise you that you have never read what I'm about to bring because it has only, it was printed uh, uh, less than a month ago. Hmm. Um, Okay. And I received the hard copy of it last week. I'm bringing Tress of the Emerald Sea 
by none other than Brandon Sanderson. Oh, Um, boy. I... Uh, one thing you might not know, dear listeners, um, I love reading everything or most things, um, you know, especially when Hunter forces me to, um, but my, like, I love fantasy books. Like I like sci-fi and I I can really like some sci-fi and I I love, um, out of the silent planet and Paralandra, you know, the, the space trilogy. Um, but I love sci-fi. Sorry, fantasy. And Brandon Sanderson is one of the best fantasy writers currently around. Um, and um, last year, uh, there was a, he started a Kickstarter um, through his uh, company, Dragonsteel. And um, this Kickstarter, in this Kickstarter, he revealed that during COVID, he wrote not one, not two, not three, but four full-length books without telling anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, him and his you know, company, really, he's got a, multiple people on his team, um, launched a Kickstarter for a, a year of Sanderson, is kind of the language. And you could sign up for a quarterly or monthly um, package, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and the monthly is these four books um, plus other like pieces, like you know, book, um, merchandise, shirts, pins, stickers, maps, probably. Uh, I did the quarterly, and I kind of went for one of the more expensive ones so I could get the hardcover, limited edition, um, foil, foiled. Yeah, that's, um, a, that's a nice-looking book. It's, it's really nice. Um, and not only is that, it also has, um, for each of these books, um, they're ha- having a different um, art artist um, mm. illustrate them, like, as the artist wants to. And so, like, just look at the beautiful artwork um yeah it's it's really stunning um and i've been really excited i this actually uh if you if you're wondering whether or not people there are many people like me that love fantasy um the answer is yes and the reason (laughs) i can say that um factually you know (laughs) objectively is that this became the largest Kickstarter in the history of Kickstarter up to that point. Raised $41 yeah. million. Dollars. That's a lot of money. <laughs> it's an impossible amount of money, right? Like, what does it even mean? Um, and, well, I mean, Hunter, we, you and I have talked about Brandon Sanderson a lot. Not pretty Most of it's been off air. So we'll start talking a little bit more about that on air tonight. Um, yeah. And I know we have different thoughts. <laughs> um, and um, I, I will say one, one a few things about Brandon Sanderson before I kind of share the story of this. Um, I've had the chance to listen to uh, some of Brandon Sanderson's lectures. He also is a lecturer at Brigham uh, Young uh, University. He was a professor, um, wasn't he? Professor. He's a professor. Sorry. Um, he does 
No. The course is on writing, obviously. Um, and one of the pieces that I just appreciate as I've learned from him um, in his story is he decided at a young age that he was going to be an author. And like, that was his heart. Um, he graduated college and he, you know, was writing then and he just kept writing and he was working, I think by his own words, the graveyard shift at a hotel, um, and writing and his parents were like, yeah, but like, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> and he, he came to the realization some point in his thirties that even if he never got a single book published, he was going to do this for the rest of his life because this is his heart. This is what he's here to do. And Hunter, maybe I've shared this before, but it wasn't until his 13th book that he got published. It took him writing 13 books to be published. And then I think they're retroactively, they published, like some of his previous books were, were published. Um, but it was, Mistborn was one of his first ones. I don't think it was the first one. Um, but the the wife and editor of my favorite fantasy author, Robert Jordan, um, she reached out to Brandon Sanderson a couple of years after Robert Jordan had passed away and said, hey, will you finish reading, writing the Wheel of Time series? Because um, she knew he was a fan and he'd never met Robert Jordan. I mean, Brandon Sanderson wasn't a huge name at this point. Um, and he, you know, spent some time thinking about it and he, he decided he's like, I'm such a big fan. Like I'd rather be the one to finish the series than to read another person's version of it. Um, yeah. And I, there's just, I, I've learned about a lot about him as an, as an author and just as a person. Um, mm -hmm. And it, whenever you get to hear somebody teach or speak, like you get to know a little bit about, about them. Like, even if they're trying to put on a face, like you can still hear past that. Um, and he just seems like a genuine person that I would just like want to hang out and get to know. Um, and like, he is an internationally best-selling author who still teaches college courses and reads undergrad students <laughs> the first books you know or or poems like, mm -hmm. I, I love that um, yeah so that's just a little bit about him um, this book trust of the emerald sea he actually wrote for his wife um, mm -hmm. and he wrote it and it was just for them for a couple of years nobody else knew about it and finally she's like yeah you should actually you know probably publish this um you know, and he's at the point, and it seems like authors, what it seems like once you're published, it becomes a lot easier to get published again. Um, yeah, I mean, once readers know your name, that's uh, that's like 80% of the battle, really. Yeah. Um, um, and so this book, and I will be giving away spoilers of it. Uh, I won't be telling maybe every single thing, um, but... Obviously, we we spoil things, and we're not, again not a ratings podcast. Um, yeah, and I, but the reason I kind of went all about Robert about Brandon Sanderson, Robert Jordan a little bit too, is like that to me is a big part of like the reason I brought this. 
like this is a storyteller who means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Brandon Sanderson's books are connected in this thing called the Cosmere. So he's created this universe where um, there are like multiple planets that are connected to each other. And there are characters that exist in multiple different books. Um, there, there are a couple who exist in this one. I have not read every book in this Cosmere. I will probably eventually get around to it because I just enjoy reading them. Um, and, I'll, and I'll share a little bit about why I enjoy reading them and kind of um, maybe more of the pieces. But um, this book um, is ultimately by Brandon Sanderson's own admission, Princess Bride, if Princess Buttercup showed any initiative. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Like, hmm. it's like, he knows what his book is. Like, and that was kind of the idea. That he got the idea from his wife. Like, she, they were watching the movie together with their, one of their, with their kid during COVID. And his wife was like, man, like, Imagine if Buttercup actually did something. Like, what if she was the one that went to find Wesley mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of him doing all the work? And so he's like, huh, you know, that might make a really good book. <laughs> and then Brandon Sanderson said, as you wish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's what this book is about. Uh, I will dive in tomorrow, but Hunter, please, what do you think? Well, I wonder wonder why why this one in particular, because I know you've read a lot of Sanderson. I have tried to. I, I, I still haven't finished a book, and maybe I just haven't tried the right one yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nothing against him. It's just, uh, I, I think that maybe if I had if I had discovered him when I was younger, mm. um, then maybe my relationship would be different. Because I I remember I read uh, Aragon <laughs> in high school, and I just yeah. I loved it, and mm-hmm. and. I, I'm not sure that I would love it now, you know? Yeah, honestly, you might... Paolini, he's, he's, he's written more books recently that are probably more interesting now that he's not 18. Yeah. Um, I just... Uh, I guess I, I... Now when I read, I value prose a lot. Yes. Uh, and Sanderson, I think, is it seems to be more interested in the, the ideas and the... Yes. Um, the way the magic works yes which you know is is you know that's the thing um uh that's that's very commendable uh and obviously he's been very successful uh but but why this one in particular um well part of it is i i don't know if if i've ever been like part of the craze hmm as a, like a fan, like I finished wheel of time and I was always, I was always catching up. Right. I never read wheel of time while it was coming out. Like I think, I think I finished it ultimately like a year after it finished. So like I was, I wasn't that far behind by the end. Yeah. Um, I wasn't part of Harry Potter at the beginning. 
you know, Lord of the Rings written years, decades before I live. You know, um, Aragon, I really enjoyed reading and was waiting for the books to come out, but I didn't like do like the midnight, the going to the, the you know, Barnes and Noble or, or Borders. Remember Borders was a thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, to get that. Um, I, I, I just haven't been part of that. And I think there's an aspect of like, what, you know this, when we go to movies, when I go to movies, I love going to a crowded theater. <laughs> I would always choose a crowded theater than an empty theater yeah. because there is something about watching a movie with other invested people that changes the experience, right? Mm-hmm. Hunter, one of my favorite movie experiences ever was when you and I went and finally a few weeks after it came out, watched <laughs> Captain America Winter Soldier, which yeah. I still hold as one of the best Avengers movies. Oh yeah. Um, because it was a turning point in the Avengers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to go from everything is black and white to there being shades of gray, mm-hmm. um, at the very least. And I just uh, I love it. Um, and when you <laughs> win, <laughs> right at the climactic scene, um, right, Falcon is on in his wings, about to fly into the air. The you know, the 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 battle's about to start in the sky. The mm-hmm. sound went out. And yeah, it was a couple weeks after the, the movie came out, but like it was still completely packed theater. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anybody there had seen the movie before. We hadn't. Yeah. And there was an awkward pause where everybody's like, okay, this could be cinematic, right? You know, <laughs> go silent and then you go big, right? And then it just kind of kept going. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, somebody, went a couple rows behind us or in front of us, started going. <laughs> The next, like, two to three minutes, maybe five minutes, I don't know, everybody in the theater was, like, dubbing the film. Like, (laughs) everybody was making the sound effects and, like, trying to use the words that they were saying to each other. And it was pure joy, right? It was so much fun. And then, you know, they eventually paused it and rewound it. And, you know, everybody's like, oh, I know what's going to happen next. Uh, and yep. I feel like there's an aspect of that fanfare and that like being part of the movement, like the emotion and the excitement um, that I was able to get in, in, I've waited a year. I spent a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> don't want to say, but it was definitely three figures um, to, you know, get this in the other three books and like to support an author who I really enjoy reading, um, and to be part of like a crowdfunded celebration of fantasy, um, and you know it it, it was I, don't know, I think that was ten or eleven months ago mm. that I put my money down on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and come to get this book, and it's just I mean. I had I took pictures as I was opening it from the box, and you know it came with this beautiful <laughs> bookmark and all these pieces there. And, um, Premium immediately texted my I've got a book. I'm a I was in a book club for a while um, that helped start, and like immediately texted the group and it's like, oh my goodness, it just came in the mail. Like, and <laughs> heard back from some people like, yeah, mine's coming later today, and the other person's like, oh, I just finished the 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 ebook of it. And the other person's like, oh man, like I'm gonna have to get that soon. Like. Yeah. It was just excitement. 
Um, mm-hmm. And and one thing I will say about Brandon Sanderson, and like I I, I get it, Brandon Sanderson is a very different type of author than you are, Hunter. Um, even though you write in a similar genre, um, is and, and I, maybe I've talked about this before when we were talking about to the lighthouse or something. Um, a lot of the books that we read and discuss on this this podcast, and a lot of the stories we discuss, like even you know the short stories and the Godfather, you know, different movies and different albums are, are, are meals, mm-hmm. right? They're three course dinners. They're seven course dinners. They're they're You're, you're sitting down, you're working your way through it. And at times it's kind of, it's a little bit of a push, but like, yeah, it, it leaves you full. Um, and you can reminisce on that. And, um, you can never kind of have that same dinner again. You know, it'll it'll be different the next time you experience it. Yeah. Um, whereas one of the things I think about that is very different about Brandon Sanderson is at least the way I dis- define it, and uh, is is like candy, <laughs> um, right? It's your favorite type of candy. Like for me, growing for a long time, I loved Twizzlers. Twizzlers are my favorite, <laughs> um, or one of my favorite candies. It's like mm. getting a five pound tub of Twizzlers. <laughs> wow. a three pound tub of twizzlers you know those big <laughs> ones the big circle ones yeah yep like once you start eating them you know they're gonna be gone yeah for me um, it's doritos and, okay yeah and yeah. like you might have a little bit of stomach ache afterwards but like you still love it right but it's a different type of thing than a meal than that that seven course meal and yeah. like you can come back and re-eat those twizzlers eat another set of twizzlers and it'll taste the same um, like I got this book on a Saturday mm-hmm. and I finished it by the following Thursday or Wednesday Wow, or something. And that's only because, you know, I've got a kid and couldn't read it faster. Um, I, I just devoured it. Um, yeah. and it was fun. It's, it's, it's fun. And like mm-hmm. I, we can dive deep into it, and I'll talk about it. And I realize we've already been talking for a while, and I haven't really <laughs> shared anything about this book. Um, but it's, and it's also like if you didn't get part of, the, we're part of the Kickstarter. Like it's not coming out till April. Um, yeah, and it's not coming out in the hardcover limited edition print. Mm. Um, there'll be a different one. So like this is also, you know, there are only so many of these made. Um. But I, I don't want people to hear like candy and think bad because that's part of the reason you read is is just to to love for the love of reading, and part of the way a story can shape you is just because you spent the time with it. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> uh, when when my son was born, we we spent. There's a fair amount of waiting in the hospital uh, they had to do. And uh, I had I had thrown a book into the the bag, the overnight bag. It was a book that was that was gifted to me. Uh, it was like a sci-fi book. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. Didn't particularly enjoy it, but I read it <laughs> because you know, what else are you gonna do when you're just waiting in the <laughs> hospital? And, and even though it wasn't like a great experience and I, I wouldn't like recommend the book, um, 
I still remember it and think about it. And, and I, and when I think about being in the hospital waiting for my, my first child to be born, um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, there really is nothing like reading a book, uh, or, you know, staying up late to read a book. It's so much fun. Um, it's way yeah. more fun than staying up late to watch a show. Yeah. I feel like I'm like sneaking around reading a book. Yeah. I, like, I never feel guilty staying up yeah. late okay, to read I, a book. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm sneaking around, but I don't feel bad about it. Like versus like feeling guilty for like, oh man, I probably should have gone to bed earlier. It's like, yeah. I was dreaming. About it. I, I love it. Like when you get into a book so much, like your dreams start into being impacted by it, mm. which is this book didn't do that to me. Cause I think I probably read it too quickly, but um, many others have. Um. One of the things, a couple of things you noted about Brandon Sanderson are very true in this book. Um, so, can I actually talk about the book? Yeah. <laughs> you brought it. You, you could talk about it. So, Trust of the Emerald Sea, I gave you the one-second synopsis, is about a, a girl named Glorf. Glorf, okay. G-L-O-R-F. Um. The girl had been given the unfortunate name of Glorf upon her birth. Don't judge. It was a family name. But her wild hair earned her the name everyone knew her by, Tress. That moniker was, in Tress's estimation, her most interesting feature. So this is a book that, in its own words, begins this way. In the middle of of the ocean... There was a girl who lived upon a rock. This was not an ocean like the one you have imagined, nor was the rock like the one you have imagined. The girl, however, might be as you imagined, assuming you imagined her as thoughtful, soft-spoken, and overly fond of collecting cups. Okay. (laughs) And it's about this girl, Tress. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, who's a peasant living on a rock, um, uh, which is uh, all, all I can. Diggins Point um, is the name of it. Um, in a world um, surrounded by seas, who falls in love with the Duke's son, hmm. or by the beginning of the book is already in love with the Duke's son, and is by her estimation, she is by her own estimation, exceedingly normal Hmm. in every way. There's nothing particularly interesting about her, um, and she's fine with that. In fact, she, at one point, and I wish I could remember the specific spaces, um, has come to realize that she is... um, the primary person that the other girls mean when they talk about everybody else. <laughs> She's okay. normal like everybody else, whereas all the other girls in her school and her area are unique, just like all the other girls. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and she doesn't, she doesn't say any of these things sarcastically. Um, like okay. her character is like, that's, that's who she is in her own words. Um, she's mm. also a very deep thinker and doesn't make decisions without thinking about them. And 
in this world, um, th this, this rock that she lives on um, is in the Emerald Sea. It's named Emerald after the color of the sea, um, it being green. And the Emerald Sea and the other seas on this planet are not made of water. Um, this is a planet surrounded by 12 moons. Each moon uh, emits spores, is what people call them. The moons are very close to the this planet. And okay. these moons emit spores, which fall in... There's 12 different colored spores, which fall in heaps in one section and then have disseminated over the years across the sea, or across the, the ground to create... What are these seas? Um, and Brandon Sanderson loves magic systems, and he also loves the way that magic systems can interact with real-life science. And so there are boats that sail across this, these seas of spores because, and this is, I guess, based off actual scientific things that could happen here on Earth, um, because of an under, under the... The sea beds, there are like, eight, there's vents that they call the, I can't remember what called the, the blow or something like that. It's not what they call it. Um, and it's this air that's pushed onto them. And when the air hits these solid pieces that are kind of like sand, it enables the boats, like they become uh, a liquid, a liquid esque. They act as a liquid, which allows sails. Uh, sailboats or you know, to sail across them hmm. and it's really interesting and there's actually videos out there of of scientists talking with brandon sanderson talking with science about the actual science of of that aspect of this um and so the the challenging thing about these different seas again each of which is a different color or these spores um, is is not just that each spore behaves differently from the others. Um, it's that all of them become volatile when they are connected with water okay. or any other type of liquid. So if you, in the Emerald Sea, if you were to take a single spore and drop a single drop of water onto it, it would explode into a jack-in-the-beanstalk type of vine. Hmm. Um, and so it's very—it's one of the more dangerous seas to sail on, right? Because if you sweat and it goes overboard, you know, or oh, something okay. happens, all of a sudden your ship could be completely caught in. You know, Jack and the Beanstalk, you know, this huge, like, tree, vine tree. Um, and the only things that kill these spores are salt and silver. Hmm. Um, and so, like, everything's, you know, very well thought out of, of this. And so, whereas the Emerald, they, they begin in the Emerald Sea. Um, this is one thing I noticed um, in the book. It took me a long time. Is that Neil C. Hunter? You can't see if you're the reader at the very top of these pages, and at the very bottom, there's a little green piece. Do you see that? 
Yeah. Um, every page that has the green piece is in the Emerald Sea. Hmm. This is a standalone book. It's connected with the other Cosmere books, but like, there's no other books, as far as I know, as of yet, that happen on this planet. At some point, they move to the Crimson Sea. Ah. And at that point, the dots become red. And at another point in the book, they end up in the Midnight Sea, which is where the dots nice. become black. Yeah. Um, so they do not go to all 12 seas. The other two seas that they end up on are the the Crimson Sea. Um, if water hits that, um, huge spikes emerge. Mm. Um, like imagine like a pit of death that you'd fall into, like shards. Um, and the challenge with that sea is not just how volatile the spores are, but um, there is rain on this planet. And um, 11 of the 12 seas or 10 of the 12 seas, it has been charted. Like, it's it's absolutely predictable. It will always go... It's so much so that you can follow, like, like like the star paths, like the, the rain charts of, of a ship from 200 years beforehand, and you won't run into rain. Because you can imagine how deadly rain would be if water right. hits the ocean, and all of a sudden, the yeah. ship's impaled. Um, mm. The only sea where that's not the case is the Crimson Sea. Um, the Crimson Sea, the rain is random and sporadic. And so it's impossibly dangerous to sail because um, nobody knows what's going to happen. And then the crim- the Midnight Sea is um, unique in that it has a specific... If water interacts with it, it creates... Um, a bond, a type of bond between um, the nearest human and what the, the essence of this black sea. So imagine Flubber. Have you seen Flubber? Uh huh. You know how that green like thing can like speak, like is like interacted, like knows yeah. Robin Williams's thoughts. Yeah. Like imagine if you could create your own Flubber. Oh. With water on these spores, yeah, and so like he, they can they can get it to change shapes. Like they can. The problem is, water is the commodity, and so with that one, as you're teaching it, as you're having it like do things for you, you're spying, it's draining you of. You make a deal with it, and it drains you of water. Uh. So if you're not continually drinking water, you will die of dehydration. Um, and and this is another major important plot point of this book this book this is a world with like two combating powers um the first is the king um and his empire think of it like the um in uh, think of it like pirates of the caribbean um uh, the british empire yeah right they own all the islands pretty much um dutch east india company yes um and the other power is the sorceress who lives on an island in the Black Sea. And she has made a deal with, she's poured enough water in, whatever, to, she has like her own monsters that go across the seas, destroying any ships that come near them. Um, she's actually um, like an almost immortal person from a separate planet with oh, nice. different versions of technology. 
like there are things like laptops and stuff like that that nobody oh. none of none of the people in this this world are like they're at the point where they're just discovering cannons and stuff like that um they have got yeah. guns and but like they they don't understand what it is like imagine if somebody in 1760 you know <laughs> imagine yeah. if you know george washington had a tablet you know mm-hmm. like what is this um and so they're kind of at war pretty much the sorceress is like yo if you come near me you're gonna die and so very quickly into the book her trust's boyfriend or the person that like she loves, he loves, you know, the as you wish type. And what they were really realizing is that as they said, as you wish, she was really saying, I love you. Um, mm. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, Charlie is captured by the sorceress because his dad's the worst and wants to force him to get married to somebody. And he's pretty much telling, he sends trust these letters um, and, and cups because she loves cups um, saying, I'm going to do as much as I can to be so boring that nobody wants to marry me and like he learned the 38 different types of plywood so he could oh. talk to somebody he became the most boring as possible and at one point he <laughs> there's a letter like oh, like the duke really thought he got him and at one point there was you know, one of the women was was deaf and then he threw up on it <laughs> during <laughs> breakfast you know? um and so the duke like gives up on his kid and mm. uh sends him to sail the crimson and midnight sea pretty much to just kill him yeah um, and so he's captured and so tress uh it, finds out about this eventually and is trying to figure out the sides that she's going to go save him which is an impossible task mm-hmm. and there are many reasons why it is impossible and the first reason is that the only people allowed to leave diggins point are sailors who are visiting and the duke and his family ah. uh, because diggins point is so oh, what's word? nobody wants to live on diggins point um, nothing grows on it pretty much it's tiny um, there's the only water they get is from like deep like under the earth water ah. spaces it's boring. <laughs> There's nothing going for it. Um, and so all of the local inhabitants have been told they have to stay there. So she has to figure out, her first thing is figure out how to get off the island. Oh. I wonder where his wife is from. Um, Brandon Anderson's? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause I, sorry. I was just thinking, uh, you know, if, if Tress is uh, like his wife, then hmm. I wonder where she's from if, if it bears any resemblance to uh this island it's an island yeah that's a question yes that's a question of like whether or not the book is for was for her because of like it tells a story of their relationship or if it's because they connect so well over princess bride and you know. i don't know i'm i'm willing to bet that trust Best. It has something to do with with his wife and, and trust yeah. being like his wife. I mean, that's like if I was going to write a book just for my wife, 
I would probably that's that's where I would start, you know. Uh and and writing is just like all art, it's it's primarily it's for the author first, really. Yeah. Uh I think you can you can fool yourself into thinking that it's for other people, but really when you sit down to write, all you have to go on is is you. <laughs> um mm-hmm. and what comes out is is a product of what's going on in you and yeah, and then you and then you can change it later, but yeah. you know. That's a good point. Sorry. Um No, no worries. I will say a few more things about this book, and I'd love it. Any questions that you have? Yeah. Um, no, I'm still just kind of wrapping my head around the whole planet situation with the spores. Yeah, it's really uh, so. It's, yeah, Sanderson's magic systems are fantastic, and this whole idea, like he he begins to tap into it, but you only go on three of the twelve seas, and like you yeah. see a couple other types of spores because they've like captured them and put them in spaces uh but they're all very volatile and very dangerous um various levels of danger some of the ones that are less dangerous like more people live around them because you know they're not gonna get a tree trunk growing through their body you know if they cry (laughs) um right and so there are many different things that happen throughout this book um but one of the one of the major themes that happens is Tress's development. Mm. Um, especially they he chose to make his primary character a character who is not rash. She does not make any rash decisions. She takes times to th- take takes times time to think before acting, which all of a sudden makes her very unique from many other primary characters in fantasy books right imagine if harry (laughs) potter was hermione (laughs) yeah right Voldemort would have been vanquished a lot sooner (laughs) (laughs) Um, but he's the chosen one yeah um just to be grateful it wasn't neville um (laughs) uh i mean i like neville I agree. I, I think Neville is highly underrated, especially in the first few books. But, anyways, um, so it starts. Right, I read to you the very first three lines of this book, or first you know, few lines, and it's she's altogether boring. Is kind of the vibe of it. Um, and by the end she has somehow become the captain of a pirate ship. Uh, <laughs> uh, and has you know, somehow in maybe some type of way vanquished the sorceress. Maybe, maybe not. It's, nice. Uh, it's, and has gotten official pardon from the king. And all these things have happened. Yeah. And she's faced a dragon. <laughs> um, there's a really cool dragon scene in this book. Um, um, that's another part of the Crimson Sea is there's a dragon there. Um, but um, 
all of these things have happened. And she like keeps saying that she's no different. You know, look at look at the beautiful art for this dragon. Oh, nice. He has a whole in-house team, doesn't he? He does, but this is actually for each of these books. He's they hired out a different illustrator. So okay. this is illustrated by Howard Lyon, and like they gave him and talked about him this like full creative um, liberty. It's like between the um, the seas. Um, the, because the moons are so close, like the spores start to mingle together, like mm. between the emerald and the crimson sea. As they move, and so they have like this visual. Oh. So but they're kind of like microscopic spores, or like how big are they? That, Sorry, they're like sand <laughs> particles. They're like sand particles. They're like okay. sand. Um, so they're not that big, but like I think they're slightly bigger than sand. Um, yeah, because that was the question I was wondering through. Because like, at different points, she grabs two or three spores, which is challenging to. And, and this is also another piece is like this is a world where people are terrified of spores, mm. right? And she grows up her whole life being scared of spores, like like always having salt hand on hand, and like these boats. Actually, the way they're built is there are lines of silver put onto all of the decks and all of the boards, which is brilliant, right? Mm. Part of a protection process. And then there are these groups of people called called sprouters, um, and their their job is to sprout the spores, right? To to figure out how to creatively use them. Uh, and yeah. she accidentally, because the previous sprouter was murdered by the pirate captain, <laughs> um, this this ship that she's at one point saved slash almost killed by, somehow recently had turned from being a. Uh, civilian ship to a pirate ship <laughs> they oh, okay. um, and their first attempt was was pretty disastrous and it was their captain's fault um, and she becomes Tress becomes the sprouter for this ship because the, the sprouter oh. was again killed by the captain because um, he was standing up to her and he said no he didn't want to become <laughs> a pirate <laughs> boom dead killed thrown overboard and of course his body ends up feeding the Spores in the ocean, the sea, and they explode outward. Um, oh yeah, a yeah. whole new meaning to uh, walk the plank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, she becomes the sprouter and goes into her own um, uh, her room and realizes the strange thing about it is that there are no there's no lines of silver in the floorboards. Because oh. she's now the person that has to figure out how to use the spores. And so she ends up really creatively figuring out how to use these, um, even though she doesn't think it's creative and doesn't think that she's that smart. You know, she actually is. Um, and I don't know, this, this whole book is just full of, of really fun things. And one other thing I'll say about Sanderson before giving you some time to ask some questions is... Um, Sanderson's really good at humor, um, and really good at who he at at choosing a voice to tell the story through and sticking to it. So this story is told through the perspective of a character named Hoyd, H O I D, who's uh -huh. an immortal type being 
who's in multiple of the Cosmere books, like shows up in the Mistborn book and I think in other ones. And his big thing is telling stories. He like travels the Cosmere and learns stories and shares them. And his voice is very like sarcastic and witty and funny. And then also sometimes it's a little mm. too preachy. Um, which is actually a frustration I had at times in this book. I was like, stop telling me what I should think about this. Like, I don't care. Like, be. Yeah. Get on. Right. And it, it only happened a couple of times. Um, but it it takes you a long time to learn who the voice of this book is. But he tells it, and actually he's in this book. He's not just the voice of the book, like the one mm-hmm. telling the story. Um and like you get an idea of why he could tell it because he's like an immortal being. Like why couldn't he just be third person on mission? You know. Um, yeah. But he's actually been cursed. The sorceress curses people. Okay. And pretty much their curse is, um, like the worst possible punishment for them specifically. Um, mm. and they can't tell anybody about their curse, but their all of their curses can be broken, and they mm. know how to break their curse, but nobody else does. Ah. Uh, and so there's always this possibility that the curse could be broken. Yeah. I mean, he's been cursed in this book um, on purpose. But he just is a complete bumbling idiot when he's around, even though he's like ultimately the hope, you know, is their only hope for defeating the sorceress even is, is somebody that they, they, they don't even know that he's brilliant because He's just a bumbling idiot, but he's also their only hope. It's like, this is the visual of like the last scene, and I won't tell anybody about it. But hmm. um, Again, magic systems. Um, right. Hunter, I want to talk more about this book, but I want to get your thoughts and questions. <sighs> Who's your favorite character? I'm really glad you asked that question because there are a couple <laughs> characters I want to talk about. Um, there are two characters in this book who I think are relatively unique and a third who's really fun. Yeah. Um, the first character is a character named Huck. H-U-C-K. Huck is a talking rat. Okay. He's who, got something in his paw there. He's got, yep, he, um, he's got some cheese. He's got a he's glass. Cheesy. So I look, yeah. it looked like a glass to me, but, uh, yeah, it's actually just a little crumb he's eating. Um, um, you learn about Huck's opinions on cheese actually at one point. And, um, Huck is a, a talking rat who is unwilling to share much about his backstory. Um, but is like they he meets um Tress in the hold of a ship that she escaped on, only to, like pretending to be a, like a, a boat inspector, only to realize that it was actually a pirate ship, a smuggling ship. It was a smuggler, which was then attacked by the pirate ship that she ends up on. <laughs> um. <laughs> And she carries Huck over because um, they became friends while they were both trapped in the hold. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and Huck ends up just kind of being there throughout a lot of the story, does some spying. Um, it doesn't always seem to be on Tress's side. Um, sometimes actively works against Tress. And like, you really just don't know his motivations hmm. for a lot of this book. Um, and I think one of the, the most enjoyable scenes of this book involves his character. Um, but I'm not going to show that because it's, it's too much of a spoiler. Um, but he ends up like kind of letting you see the different part of the world because he, you know, because of his perspective as a rat. And so, right. It's just a very unique kind of fun thing. And and a lot of books will have like a talking animal or there's (laughs) the idea that a lot of books have talking animals, but I actually don't think that's actually the case as much. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, Humans tend to anthropomorphize a lot. Yeah. So Huck is a really fun character who I didn't see coming um, until, you know, actually, it was relatively short time into it. Like, um, there's a statement of, like, yeah, there's no, you know, weirdly communicating whatever is, but there is a talking rat. Yeah, <laughs> this is a book with a talking rat, so like, the book just calls it out. Um, that's one in, one interesting character that is kind of on my list of maybe one of my favorites. Another is a character named Fort, F O R T, and he's just a huge hulking guy. Um, he's the the the, um, the quartermaster for the ship. Hmm. Um, and he's all about the trade. Like in his his culture is all about who can do the best trade, or who can like have the most victories. And um, their particular culture learned pretty early on that if they wanted to continue to grow as a culture, <laughs> not everybody could be a warrior <laughs> trying to kill everybody else. Yeah. So they needed to. Uh, become tradespeople focusing on different types of jobs. Right. But each of them is still all about like being the best. And they, they don't say the best, but like having the most wins. And for him within his particular role, it's about being the best trade trader. It's like, he writes back to his mom and family and like all about all his great trades. Yeah. And like they get hang hung on the wall <laughs> You know, along with all the other wins from the family. Um, he is also deaf. Um, and he has a magic writing board, which kind of learned is like a tablet that he uses to communicate, um, even though he can also do a form of ASL. And he is a really important part of Tress's... Um, development and like her coming to understand like the motivations behind why this crew became pirates and um how to kind of dress is just like an all-around good person like a the pure heart and fort is one of the few other characters that she bumps into that is also like Maybe not innocent in the same way that Tress is with the beginning of the story, but like pure hearted. 
Yeah. Um, and he's just, <laughs> he's very blunt. Um, but he's also just very kind. He's the one that she like held on to the ship in order to not, um, Yeah, the pirate ship when you know, when she originally got there, and he's the one that brought her up out of the ground or from from the side of it onto the ship, and yeah. so he's kind of always in her case on her side. Um, I just found a page I wanted to read that understands shares a little bit about the science of this, and then I'll share about this other character, <clears throat> and then any other questions, then we can jump on to yours. Tress wasn't aware of the science of what made the ship float, but it's actually rather interesting. Vents deep below the ocean floor sent up bursts of air. With this agitation, the spores became as liquid. The phenomenon is possible in any world, including your own. Fluidization, it is called. Pump air up underneath a box of sand, and you'll see something similar to what Tress was watching. Bubbles burst from the spores all around, making the ocean churn and undulate. It slapped the ship's hull and flowed away, splashing, making waves. It wasn't quite like water. It was too thick, and the tips of the waves broke apart into puffs of green spores. In fact, the sea was wrong in the, in the way that solely something almost right can be. Familiar, yet alien. As if it were Liquid's disrespectful cousin who told inappropriate jokes at Grandma's funeral. <laughs> I think that's a good way of kind of showing the the science, yeah. the magic, the the tone. That's the way that, that the tone of this book and the, the narrator. Kind of, yes, yes. And it's and honestly, um uh well not honestly. One of the reasons Sanderson shares that he chose Hoyt as the narrator is because he wants to do a story about Hoyd's upbringing and like backstory at some point and was trying to and was using this book as a way of trying to understand and discover Hoyd as a character Mm. which I thought is also like really maybe not unique but like I feel like it's not often that you get like a a best-selling author that's really like just open (laughs) about that well, I don't know. I think you might be surprised. Uh, Stephen King, I think. Mm, I think of yeah. Brandon Sanderson as the Stephen King of fantasy. Um, yeah. Which, if you've read uh, Stephen King's On Writing, his memoir about writing, um, definitely recommend it. It's it's really, really cool just to, to get a glimpse into his process, even if he's not one of your favorite authors. He talks about other writers and writing in general and mm-hmm. it's a really good read. But writing is uh try and do it sometime. It's really mysterious. You just kind of sit there and <laughs> try to come up with something and uh, in my opinion you have to be open um mm. in order to really write because you you don't know what a, you can't you can't conceive of a of a story in its entirety. Um, you have to kind of uncover it. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like Sanderson uncovered something uh, pretty cool. 
Yeah, and it's just, it's a fun story. It, it keeps progressing. It's there's a lot of like times where trust is given the opportunity to make a one decision, another decision, or sometimes even a third. And she, she, unlike many other primary characters and stories, like instead of acting, takes time to think. Yeah. Um, and the last moment, the last character I was going to talk about, um, the boat that she's on, um, most of the characters, uh, most of the members of it um, aren't named. Um, Hoyt just calls them Doug. So there's a bunch of Dugs <laughs> on the uh, on the ship. Um, like most of the crew is Doug. If they're not important, they're just called Doug. And so Doug does a lot of things. Um, <laughs> and the one of the other exceptions is the 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 ship's doctor um, is actually another almost immortal being who solely joined the the ship just to watch Hoyd be an idiot so he could take notes and make fun of him in front of their friends for the next few decades. Um, and he's all about like, he wants to buy people's brains and trade their ears. And like, he has that ability. Like he's part of a race that's like lost, like doesn't need to human like a body, um, but they choose to have one. Um, or, and like, so his heart extra ears onto his body uh, and like that work. And he also, allows for rapid healing you know allows for the characters to get injured but like healed back to health Hmm. Um, it's just a very ridiculous ensemble character that could be overpoweringly helpful but he's chosen to like kind of remain neutral Hmm. uh even as he takes time to, to heal them and try to buy their spleens all right. The spleens. <laughs> Dress of the Emerald Sea. I would recommend yeah. it. Um, I think once you start reading it, when you get hooked on it, you're going to read it quickly. It's not a long read. Um, it was a great reminder for me just how much yeah. I love reading and love connecting with a story for the sake of the story. Like I love Princess Bride, and I, and I did learn. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of similarities to it. Um, I don't know if I would have been able to connect it as clearly or as quickly um, had I not had that kind of yeah. spoken to me. Um, but even like kind of knowing what the story was gonna be, because mm-hmm. you know, I tell you, it's Princess Bride if. Buttercup took initiative and like you have an idea of what the story is going to be. Um, even then, like I was still surprised and I had fun the entire way. And that's what a good book can do. Uh, and, and this is a good book. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for, uh, just reading (laughs) to enjoy it. You know, uh, not everything has to be earth shattering. Um, I mean, it's also great when those two go together. Uh, and and I yeah. think they often do. Like, To the Lighthouse is a very enjoyable experience. Uh, it's just a little harder. Once but, you're three-quarters of the way through, 
it retroactively becomes enjoyable. Yeah. That was my experience of it, which is very different. Again, the meal. Yeah. Candy. Yeah. But I have brought something uh, that I know you have read, that I know you have studied extensively. Oh, no. In fact, we have studied this together in the same room. (laughs) When we were freshmen in college, uh, and... With with a man named Danish House. Oh, I don't know if you remember that name. It took um, me a little while to remember it, but uh, oh, with I a name like Danish about... House, you cannot forget that name. Danish is a huge Trekkie. Oh you should yeah, have him on for the last episode. Like he, oh, he would trounce us in any. Type I'm of sure. Conversation. Yeah, but uh, I have brought the Book of Jonah. Oh. <laughs> and I love it. <clears throat> yeah. I was trying to decide I had I had read Candide recently. I thought mm-hmm. about bringing that. I didn't I didn't really enjoy it too much. Um it's I, I I appreciate Voltaire, but I just it's just not a fun, it's not an enjoyable read, at least <laughs> for me. Um appreciate the honesty there. Yeah. Um and then I thought of Jonah. It's uh, it's a whole page and a half long. Mm. And when I think that when we really encountered this, we went to a uh, conference, an university conference in college, freshman year, and we mm-hmm. took the same course. You you do <laughs> like a course, study course, um, and then there was like a large group. And our our sort of small group study course was was on Jonah and on how to read the Bible or something like that, hermeneutics yeah. or whatever. Uh, and I remember, I, I believe it was Danish who said this. He said, uh, you know, depending on the skill of your pastor, when you go in on Sunday morning, you get, uh, you know, maybe a, a steak or, uh, or maybe a hamburger <laughs> or something uh, that, that tastes decent. You know, but right now what we're going to do is bite the cow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we bit the cow. Do you remember? Yeah. Is it, is it coming back? Yeah, it's coming back. <laughs> I remember the tables that we just had on fluorescent lights in that hotel, first floor uh, space. The colored pencils. Oh, man. I, this is where we first got introduced to the inductive study. I, I think so. Like the first oh. formal introduction, I think. I love it. I lo- I'm so excited you brought this. Yes. Yeah. Tell me yeah. more. So, Jonah, uh, if you haven't read it, you you could probably go read it in about five minutes. Um, <laughs> By this point in the podcast, you could have read it 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's about Jonah, uh, the son of Amitai. God tells him to go to Nineveh and uh, to tell the Ninevites to repent or the city will be destroyed. Mm. Uh, The Ninevites, I guess, are doing some pretty shady stuff. And um, Jonah says, nope, and sails the complete opposite direction. He gets on a boat 
tries to flee <laughs> and uh, God starts making a storm come up around the boat and the sailors are just absolutely terrified of this mm -hmm. storm because uh, you know they're gonna drown and Jonah <laughs> while the sailors are fighting for their lives on the deck Jonah is sleeping below the deck <laughs> so they go and wake up Jonah and Jonah's like oh sorry <laughs> this is because of me uh, mm -hmm. and they're like well what do we do and they're like Jonah's just like just just throw me chuck me overboard <laughs> um and the sailors uh they're like uh, I guess but you know they they try to row towards land and it doesn't mm -hmm. work and so they say oh god uh, lord of the hebrews please for, please forgive us and they chuck Jonah overboard um and then Jonah is swallowed by a fish and he's in the fish's belly three days and three nights. Uh, and he prays to God uh, this prayer of, of repentance. And um, <gasps> it's it really is a beautiful... I'm just going to read it because it's so, so short. It's, uh, it's this... Listen, listen, dear listeners, listen. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. Hmm. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Mm. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. <laughs> so Jonah goes and preaches to the Ninevites. He's not very enthusiastic about it. I, I, he, he says like one sentence, like repent or the city will be destroyed. And everyone just goes nuts. They start, you know, they put on sackcloth. They put ashes on their head. Uh, you know, the king makes this proclamation. You know, maybe, maybe the Lord will be merciful and the Lord is merciful. And Jonah is really mad about it. So mad. So mad. Are you, God says, are you really so very angry? Jonah and Jonah says I am angry enough I could die <laughs> and because I know I knew that you are a compassionate God slow to anger and abounding in in mercy and compassion and Jonah uh Jonah kind of sulks he goes away and God makes this vine that comes up over Jonah to give him shade and Jonah's really delighted about the shade. And then God makes the vine wither. And, and Jonah is, is again, he's, he is so angry that he could die. 
about the plant and uh, God. <laughs> like the last the last sentence, it just ends. It just ends. It says, uh, you have been, but the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Mm. And that's the end. And uh, uh, not knowing their right hand from their left, that's that's not like a reference to their intelligence. Uh, more likely it was uh, a reference to like their moral judgment. Um in the Hebrew, according to the notes in my Bible, but um, that's Jonah, uh, and I mean, I I chose Jonah because it was one that we we connected over in college, mm-hmm. and it's also it's just so short, <laughs> but it gets stuck like a sliver. At least in my mind, it has been stuck there <laughs> ever since. Uh, Ever since freshman year. Yeah. Hmm. I thank you. I, that prayer is the first, that was the first time I feel like I really interacted with it. And I feel like so much of my life, I've, I felt like I've been entangled in the weaves, weeds, hmm. you know, stuck at the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Only to cry out and to be brought out. God heard me. Yeah. Jonah is so, uh, he's so relatable. (laughs) Maybe we don't want to admit it, uh, but I know for myself, like Jonah, God says, hey, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh, do my will. And Jonah's just like, nah. (laughs) And he he goes the complete opposite direction, mm-hmm. um, and and he never really like learns his lesson. It doesn't really say whether or not he he learned his lesson. Yeah, um, I've heard people argue that he does because who else would write Jonah outside right. of Jonah? Um, yeah, but we we still aren't. It's not clear that that's the case. Yeah, agree. So, Andre, it seems like part of the reason you brought it up is because this is a story that shaped our relationship. Yeah. Is there anything you want to talk about around around that? <laughs> hmm. Let me open up a can of worms and see which which you decide to pull out. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I have no more Thai ST to go back to. <laughs> Drink my water. <laughs> well, I think there are, there are two big things with Jonah that I want to talk about, and I think okay. in in response to that question, Jonah, he has a very uh, honest relationship with God 
Yeah. Jonah straight up just goes the other way. (laughs) And when he gets put in the belly of the fish, yes, he repents and he prays this prayer. And I'm sure that, you know, he means it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then later on, (laughs) uh, he's, he's so angry and he just tells God, he just tells God that, that he's angry about something that God did, which just, just thinking about, you know, the, you know, they, Jonah would have a, a very robust understanding of, of God as uh, all powerful mm. and um, all knowing. And, and Jonah, he, he doesn't really seem to care about that. And he just, tells God how he feels. And so something I think about is like the ups and downs that Jonah has in his uh, relationship with God. Yeah. And um, <laughs> God knows <laughs> that we have gone through some ups and downs. Yeah, uh, that's true. And I don't think we want to get too too far into it. It was yeah. it was a very long time ago. Um, it's almost nine years ago now. Right? Yeah, yeah. Ten years ago this year. Yeah, but I think you know around our like sophomore year, mm-hmm. junior year, um, we had a low point. <laughs> low and point. Uh, we went from being best friends to like worst enemies. <laughs> <laughs> and like we tried to work it through and it just didn't work. We tried to yeah. talk it through and write it through and Yeah. I mean, I think something we could we could talk about is I part of it was due to just how different we are. It, like our per- personalities are so different. Um and the and the way that we approach problems and things. Uh, and and I, at that time in my life, I was also uh, still much. I I didn't have quite as as good of a reign or understanding of my critical nature, <laughs> um, as I do now. I, I want. Can I add a couple th- things? Yeah. Yeah. Um. First, it's, obviously, we're being pretty vague, but there's also one of the things I've learned since since that time in life is how important it is to clarify miscommunication and how yeah. miscommunication, when it's not noticed, when it's not asked, brought out into the open, can fester. Hmm. And can become something that is much different than what it started as. And it can ruin (laughs) friendships. It can ruin relationships. It does regularly. And it's not always just miscommunication. And I mean, it wasn't just miscommunication in our case. But if that miscommunication piece had been brought out, earlier yeah like it wouldn't have been a big deal at all yeah and and i think something that 
um, connects more directly with Jonah is uh, the part where he gets mad about the vine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and God says to him, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the lessons I, I had to learn is that there are some things that I just can't control. Uh, and, you know, whether it be things that happen uh, on the news or uh, things that happen uh, with my friends and like, I just, they're just not, it's, it's kind of like a vine <laughs> um, that is, is in God's control. Uh, which is which is where it should be. There's one other thing I want to share. Um, yeah, uh, that is just I. If you don't know us and don't know our story, <laughs> then and we haven't talked about this, but it is insane to me. You know, one one part of my brain always thinks how insane it is that we are best friends and that we are doing a podcast together. Yeah. Um, because I think we've experienced like the true depths of brokenness, right? We've been in, in the belly of a fish. Right. Yeah. Um, belly of the whale and tried to get at it through our own, through ourselves, by ourselves and, you know, and through prayer and, you know, all these pieces. And it took time. It took multiple years of conversations. And <laughs> we went to different apart. countries. <laughs> we, <laughs> continents. <laughs> yes. You studied abroad and then I studied abroad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and we decided to give it another try. Our senior year, like, hey, like, we both separately decided, like, hey, we're going to give this friendship one more try. And man, something deeper grew out of that. Um, and I know there are people out there right now that are in broken relationships and are feeling that brokenness and, you know, every story looks different, but I, one of the big pieces of my life that I can continually come back to, to know that God exists and God is there for me and God heals brokenness and God mends relationships and restores friends, friendships and family is our story. Yeah. Um, And it's a story I've shared with, I'm not all the time, but I've shared it with other people and it's, it's uncommon. It's it's not it's not something that many people seem to have experienced, especially at at our younger age. Right? <laughs> we were we were college guys in our early twenties. Right. <laughs> I mean, we couldn't do that by ourselves. Like, there's no way that yeah. we were the reason that relationship was healed. Uh, even though we were part of it, 
Yeah. It was one of those matches struck unexpectedly in the dark. And um, I think, I mean, also just like the beginning, it was just kind of like, like we, we were, had such different personalities that like, it was hard for me to me imagine like being friends with you. Like (laughs) you were friends with everybody. So that, that part wasn't hard, but like, I don't know. And then it just kind of, we like watched the mentalist. Oh, that'll be one of our future episodes. We've talked about yeah. it. Going yeah. The mentalist. mentalist. That's a story um, that has shaped us. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, coming back senior year was, was kind of like that too. Um, yeah. I, thanks for bringing us here. Hunter. Yeah. That, it's Jonah just like, I mean, the, the places the story takes you is, is is like the story itself. It just it goes so quickly, mm-hmm. and it it's so chaotic, and and yet it just gets stuck in your head, and mm. um, it, it can take you so many different places. Um, like you know, Edgar Allan Poe said that that originality demands negation and you know reading jonah this week i've been thinking about short stories you know short novels short stories that that story you shared from uh jose luis borges um Hmm. and just just the power of of a page and a half Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh with jonah um it's it's the kind of story that stays with you after you shut the book. Yeah. Hunter, one thing that was that stuck with me in my life is uh, there's a pastor named Charles Spurgeon. Hmm. Um, there's a pastor in England in the 1800s. He actually uh, was, is um, the most prolific author of the 1800s. Hmm. There are more things written from his words than by any other author at the time. Wow. Um, and it's because all of his ser- sermons were written down. And mm. he was a prolific preacher to the masses. Um, and this particular line um, is all roads lead to London. <laughs> uh, and he's saying that within the UK, you go on a road, you follow it, you eventually, one of the directions, get connected with another road, which will get connected with another road, which will bring you to London. Mm. And his argument from there, the reason he shared that, is that, it is as um, an allegory, I think that's <laughs> the right wording, um, in that all passages in the Bible lead to Jesus. Is allegory the right word to use? Or is it a metaphor? I think Better. it might be a metaphor. Metaphor, okay. I'm still working that one out. Um, it's a metaphor for, for that. And, and so you're reading or talking about the story of Jonah, and I was just thinking 
about the story of Jesus falling asleep on the boat in the midst of the storm. Right. Right. Just like Jonah. Like, yeah. Huge storm on the water. Everybody's freaking out. Jesus and Jonah just passed out. They're <laughs> And there's no reason they should be. Like, it's not like a storm that's gently rocking the boat. Like, they're probably actively being moved around by yeah. <laughs> shaking up and screaming. And in Jonah's story, what happens? Uh, he tells the people it's him, and then they cast lots, and it falls on Jonah. And he says, throw me over, and they throw him over, and the sea is calmed. Hmm. That's what happens. Um, he's like, I sinned. Throw me over. I sinned against God. And God responds. And Jesus is, in the story of Jesus, what happens? He stands up. He calls out the sailors, his disciples, for being afraid, mm. for sinning. <laughs> and he rebukes and calms the wave. Mm. so whereas Jonah's sin led to, the storm is, is the cause of Jonah's sin and God's response you know to you know, Jonah being thrown over to heal it like for, for Jesus like the storm and the calming of it is a way of showing who God is who Jesus is it, it, it reverses uh, it right. maybe negates uh <laughs> <laughs> some of these pieces and, and and that's not all that you can grab from Jonah but that kind of stuck out to me in that in that telling yeah. that you gave yeah and there's the the sign of Jonah Jesus himself says uh, you know the only sign that will be given to this generation is the sign of Jonah because Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of a fish in the belly of a whale. And uh, Jesus spends three days and three nights in the tomb. <laughs> Which, you know, if, if Jesus is name dropping this story, then, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be something. Uh, it's got to be something. Got to be something. Hunter, I just realized a similarity in our two stories, and it's not just that there's seas involved. Right. Um, it is, in fact, that both of our stories, or at least tellings of our story, <laughs> involve the, uh, the existence of a group of less-than-competent pirates. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, part of my mind always goes to Veggie Tales, right? And joining Larry are Pa, Pa Grape, and Mister What, who together make up the infamous gang of Scallywags, the pirates who don't do anything. <laughs> we'll have to do a Veggie Tales episode. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, Jonah's definitely worth it. If you haven't read it, if, you, if you've only ever like heard of Jonah, like give it a read. You don't need to believe in anything particular to, to read it. Like, yeah, but it, it'll, I mean, it's, 
you brought up a bit. I, I guess I've never actively thought of it as a short story. Um, yeah. But that's what it is. Yeah. And I appreciate the way that Jonah's bluntness honestly speaks to the power of God <laughs> at times. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, that is one piece of, uh, well, I've started saying peace now. <laughs> You're welcome. I picked it up. It's probably... Picked it up from you. Uh, that was one of the first things I noticed when we started doing the podcast is the word, how you use the word peace. In the same way that I would use the word like factor or like part mm. of this story, you use the word peace. Uh, P I E C E. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huh. But uh, one, one piece of this, of Jonah that <laughs> one, one factor piece of Jonah of how it shaped me <laughs> get on with it I think we'll do Let's this go. and we'll probably get towards the end here um, after this but it, it is, the, is the way that, that God shapes Jonah uh, and, and the way that I I I have experienced God's hand <laughs> in my life because because Jonah Jonah goes the other way. God sends a storm and a fish. And um, I'll, I'll use one example I don't mind sharing. I uh, when I was in high school, uh, I I was I ski raced and uh, I loved it uh, and I took it very seriously with starting like you know sophomore junior year it's like working out four times a week and um just just really really wanted to be a fast ski racer and uh you know i was i was all right i made states a few times uh, vermont vermont states vermont's a pretty competitive state to ski race in raced on the same snow as michaela schifrin uh mm -hmm. got a 86 <laughs> not nearly world as fast of, of course 86 world cup wins oh yeah she's she's so close now i mean in my opinion she's she's already the goat um just because to be able to win that consistently in this day and age uh of, of ski racing with the technology and the resources of of you know the world cup teams and it, it's just she's the goat at this point um but uh Sorry, inside track. High school. High school, Skiing. ski racing. And maybe I was taking it a little too seriously or at least, um, you know, making it such a huge part of, of my identity mm. um, that it was kind of eclipsing my uh, relationship with, with God and uh, my junior year found out that I had um, a femoroace tabular impingement, which is bone spurs on my, the end of my femurs where they fit in with the hip socket. So all that time I was ski racing and, and moving my hips and, and all that stuff was uh, ripping the cartilage in my hips mm -hmm. uh, with the bone spurs. So I had to have uh, 
orthoscopic surgery and have those grinded down. Um, and so that took me out like the beginning of my senior year. And I, I did end up racing that year. Uh, but, I, you know, I to this day, I still wonder, you know, how fast I could have gotten <laughs> mm. if I didn't have that setback. And, and you know, there's been other times in my life where um, I, I broke my leg skiing in uh, 2016. And, you know, that was like a pretty major setback. And remember that. Um, just just kind of a freak occurrence wasn't even in a race wasn't even that cool but um and 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 this is not to say that that's the only way that god works and i don't think it it should be that like Mm -hmm. um yeah but you know there have been times in my life where where god has really chased after me Mm -hmm. uh and put me in the belly of a fish uh so that I could, I could come to a place where I could renew my relationship with him. And, um, I mean, just, just like, even just doing this podcast, like, it doesn't feel like we, (laughs) like, it just kind of happened, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that we're going after and and it's not like we have a a lot of viewers, but we're doing it. (laughs) And uh, that's what matters. Let's get so, those million views. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. This joke, obviously. Yeah. <clears throat> spores and spores of views. Yeah. I I like that. Thanks for sharing that, Hunter. I was just thinking as you were saying that, like, and I've never, th- I don't think I've thought about this before. Like, God chose Jonah and chose to continue to pursue him. He could have just given up on him. <laughs> Right. Like, like, oh, this this guy's not working out. Like, just try somebody else. Should have gone and, and got uh, like Hezekiah or someone, or yeah. you know. No, like, and clearly Jonah wasn't even that helpful. Right? What did he say on the internet? Like, <laughs> repent, or you're going to be destroyed. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's like, I want you dead. Really mm-hmm. was a statement. Like, but God told me I had to be here. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to whisper it and then leave <laughs> and say, God, I did it. Yeah. And like God chose, I mean, God could have killed Jonah when he, uh, with the sun, you know, <laughs> after he had a, you know, yeah. the plant with her. <laughs> like God chose to continue to pursue Jonah. And that doesn't mean that God chose to make the bad, made the bad things happen to him. Um, but chose to pursue and call out Jonah. Right. Yeah. One more thing. I mean, you know, this story is a page and a half, but we could keep going. But uh, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think, Mm. you know, sometimes this is something I've gone through in reading the Bible is not wanting to read the old Testament (laughs) because, you know, people think of the old Testament as, as fire and brimstone and, um, you know, God being angry and unpredictable and, and punishing people who, who maybe it doesn't seem like they did, uh, you know, something to really deserve what they got. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but Jonah is really 
Jonah says, I know that you are slow to anger mm. and abounding in compassion. Yeah. And if you think about the way that God handled Jonah and the Ninevites, that's true. Um, and yeah. if, if, you, if you take a broader view of, of the whole Bible, when you go into other books of the Old Testament as well, that's true as well. Um, but, mm -hmm. but Jonah just so succinctly, it, it just holds together so well as, as a one story, and it really illustrates it. Definitely. Yes. Andre, thanks for bringing that. I, I didn't, I didn't expect that. And I, yeah. And I appreciate how I feel like every time we bring a couple books, we are, we are in very different places in what we choose <laughs> to bring. And then of course there are similarities and things that overlap, but these yeah. actually become some of my favorite episodes. Yeah. It's really fun. Uh, is it, we, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, a lot less we can prepare for. Um, right. And, and it's always fun talking about a couple things, uh, even though we both love diving deep. Yeah. As well. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the deep episodes, they're probably our best ones, uh, but they're also a lot of uh, preparation and um, yeah. just, <laughs> just going for it. And it's, uh, but it's, you know, stories are fun, too, and potlucks get into that. Hmm. So in honor of the similarities between Tress of the Emerald Sea and Princess Bride, Hunter and I have chosen to read out one of the greatest scenes of dialogue in one of the greatest movies of all time. And that is, in fact, the battle of wits surrounding the poison between Vizzini, as played by me, and uh, the man in black, as played by me. And also in honor of Jonah, uh, because your reaction when reading Jonah might be inconceivable. <laughs> you keep using that word. I do not think it means. What it the shrieking eels. <laughs> the man in black has just defeated uh, the swordsman and the giant and comes and interacts with Vizzini, who is preparing to eat. <clears throat> so it is down to you and it is down to me if you wish her dead by all means keep moving forward let me explain there's nothing to explain you're trying to kidnap what I have rightfully stolen perhaps an arrangement can be reached there will be no arrangements and you're killing her but if there can be no arrangement, then we are at an impasse. I'm afraid so. I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brains. You're that smart. Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato? 
Aristotle, Socrates. Yes. Morons. Really? In that case, I challenge you to a battle of wits. For the princess? To the death? I accept. Good. Then pour the wine. <clears throat> Inhale this, but do not touch. I smell nothing. What you do not smell is Iocane powder. It is odorless, tasteless, and dissolves instantly in liquid and is among the more deadly poisons known to man. <laughs> All right. Where is the poison? The battle of wits has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink and find out who is right and who is dead. But it's so simple. All I have to do is divine it from what I know of you. Are you the sort of man who would put the poison into his own goblet? Or his enemies? Now, a clever man would put the poison into his own goblet because he would know that only a great fool would reach for what he was giving. I am not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you must have known I was not a great fool. You would have counted on it. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You've made your decision, then. <laughs> not remotely, because Iocane powder comes from Australia. As everyone knows, Australia is entirely peopled with criminals, and criminals are used to having people not trust them, as you are not trusted by me. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. Wait till I get going! Where was I? Australia. Yes, Australia. And you must have suspected I would have known the powder's origin. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You're just stalling now. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? You've beaten my giant, which means you're exceptionally strong. So you could have put the poison in your own goblet, trusting on your strength to save you. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you've also bested my Spaniard, which means you must have studied. And in studying, you must have learned that man is mortal. So you would have put the poison as far from yourself as possible. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You're trying to trick me into giving away something. It won't work. It has worked. You've given everything away. I know where the poison is. Then make your choice. I will, and I choose. What in the world can that be? Where? I don't see anything. Oh, well, I... I could have sworn I saw something. No matter. <laughs> What's so funny? I, I'll tell you in a minute. First, let's drink. Me from my glass, and you from yours. You guessed wrong. You only think that I guessed wrong. 
That's what's so funny. I switched classes when your back was turned. Ha <laughs> ha, you fool. You fell victim to one of the classic blunders. The most famous is never get involved in a land war in Asia. And only slightly less well-known is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. Ha <laughs> ha!